Christ is risen. Amen. All right, y'all can be seated. There's another phrase that goes with that. I heard it faintly, one or two people out there. He is risen indeed is what uh, is the tradition of that, of that phrase. And it dates back to the scripture. It uh, dates back to Luke chapter 24, verse 34, whenever uh, uh, the, the disciples had returned from the, the grave and they walk into the room and other disciples are there and they says, Christ is risen indeed. It's believed that Mary Magdalene actually greeted uh, Emperor Tiberius with that very phrase, Christ is risen indeed. It's a very much a declaration of, of, of faith. It's a declaration from our heart. And uh, even in the early church, even up until to the present, you'll go to some places and they will literally greet with that statement that Christ is risen, and then the response would be, he is risen indeed. Now, that was pretty weak, all right? So we're going to do it. I think we actually believe it, all right? Pretend with me here. Here we go. Christ is risen. risen That's exactly right. I tell you what, if you believe it, it changes everything. It will change your outlook. It will change your outcome. It will change every part of your, your being. And let me say this. If you're you know, kind of with us for the first time or maybe in for, out of town from being with family, that you might normally go to a, a worship gathering on an Easter Sunday. I mean, people will show up on Easter. They will show up at any other time of the year. But listen, this is not going to be your typical Easter resurrection message where the question is asked, what? what? What about the resurrection? Can we believe the resurrection? You know, what are the facts that can prove that Jesus rose from the dead? And it kind of turns in year after year after year after year of just being an apologetics kind of historical review of that. I'm not going to do that this time. I'm going to give the uh, the belief out there today that if you're here, you braise the weather, uh, you're here in your pastels and you're here uh, ready for your photos afterwards and all that kind of stuff, and you're getting all ready. There's a modicum of faith in you that you actually believe in the resurrection. I'm believing there's a lot of you believe a whole lot more in that, but I'm just saying there's a few out there that might not, and there might even be some in this room who don't believe in the resurrection, and that's okay. And I'll talk more about that, kind of that, how, how it fits in. I don't want to talk about so much what about the resurrection. I want to talk about so what. So what? So what about the resurrection? What difference does it really make? What difference does the resurrection make in my life? And I want to again come to you again and say it will change everything. If you truly believe it in the depths of your being that the resurrection happened, it will change not only today, one day out of the year, Easter Sunday, but it will change your Monday, it will change your Tuesday, it will change how you interact with your spouse, it will, it will change in effect how you raise your children, it will affect how you operate on the job, it will change everything. And so please just kind of keep that at the front burner. So how does it change and who does it change? And so what about the resurrection? I want to tell you a story today. It's actually going to be a story that's going to take two and a half months to share. Uh, because we're actually going to start a series today. That's a little bit of the difference. Is we're starting a new series of messages today titled Keep Dancing. And part of that whole idea is that life sucker punches us sometimes. Sometimes... We get laid off, and I know a number of our people in our congregation have experienced that in just very recent days. 
sometimes we go to the doctor and we get that report and it just totally sucker punches us. Sometimes the relationship that we thought was going one way, we find out, wake up one day, it's going another way. And so we get sucker punched. How is it when all the circumstances of life are coming around us, how does that not rob us of our joy? And I want to say, again, the resurrection changes everything. And if the resurrection changes everything, it even gives us an ability to keep dancing, to keep having a rhythm about us, a a joy about us, on and on throughout the circumstances of life. But I want to talk about this one particular town, a town called Philippi. Philippi, you'll find it if we all jumped on a boat today and did a Mediterranean cruise, and who wouldn't want that? Uh, and we made our way around the, uh, the peninsula of Italy and around Greece and made our way up to the northern coast of the Aegean Sea. We would come to a little, a little city, a little port city called Annapolis. And it, from there, we'd get on in, in a car and we'd travel about 10 miles north to an oasis of villages, of community where there's natural springs and wells that, that, that are in this, in this town called Philippi. And it was a thriving town. It was a city to be exact. And it had all kinds of things going on in it. And in Philip, uh, excuse me, Philippi is where one of the places that Peter will go and spend some of his time. No, excuse me, Paul will go and spend some of his time. In fact, if you take your Bibles, you'll be finding the book of Philippians. We'll be there in, in a moment. But just to understand the, the, the full impact of this guy named Paul, Paul wrote 13 of our New Testament books. His lion's share of our New Testament comes from the handwritings and the experiences of the Apostle Paul. Well, on his third missionary, excuse me, his second missionary journey, he makes his way with a guy named Silas to Philippi. Philippi becomes such an integral part of his whole journeys that he revisits it on his third missionary journey. And then a total of about nine or ten years later, he starts writing this letter. We're going to do the study of the letter for the next two and a half months. And we're going to look at this letter because this letter is Paul writing from prison nearing his death sentence. And he's writing to a church that's living in freedom, that's living near natural springs of water and industry with life and vibrancy. And he's telling them how to be joyful. He in prison is telling them how to have faith. He in prison is telling them how to have purpose in their life. He does this amazing thing. It's not because he's some magical person. It's he just grasped something and totally built his entire life upon this one thing. What's that one thing? The resurrection of Christ. If you have your Bibles in Philippians chapter 3, literally smack dab in the middle of, 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 of the book of Philippians, you find Paul declaring what his entire life is built on and is moving to. Built on and moving to. That's why I'm saying the resurrection, and you'll see it's the resurrection, is the resurrection changes everything. If it changes nothing, then you don't know the resurrection. It changes everything. It changes how you live today, but it also changes how you're going to live tomorrow. Look at this passage of Scripture, just two verses. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in the suffering and become like him in his death. I want to be like Jesus even if it means me dying as Jesus died. That's, that's a paradigm shift, right? That's a, that's a worldview change, right? I mean, he's willing to even die and suffer and even wants to be like Christ at all costs and by all means. That by any means possible, 
Everything's on the table. Nothing's hidden back. Nothing's holding back. Everything's out there, God. It's all available by any means possible that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So everything that Paul lived from and to was about the resurrection. And that's why he's able to go back and to write this amazing book of Philippi that, again, we'll look at chapter 1, verse 1, literally next week, and we're going to continue through the month of June with it. But you're going to find how to have healthy uh, view and attitudes on life. Here, throw up, the, the, throw up these items. We're going to learn how to have healthy attitude and perspective on life. We're going to learn about joy and, and, and non-manufactured joy. Listen, not enough fake stuff that you, that you get out there, all that fake um, plastic look to us. Contentment and satisfaction. Purpose and meaning. Confidence and overcome circumstances. How to have meaningful, life-giving relationships. Everything you're going to find in four chapters. But here's the key. Don't miss this. If I was literally going to take the book of Philippians and swing it on some type of hinge, put some kind of centerpiece on the table, put something that would everything would pivot around this one statement, it was the statement that I just read to you. Smack dab in the middle of the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, is the resurrection from which everything in life changes because of the resurrection. So please, hang with me today. Hang with me into the future. Let's talk more about this whole Philippi and this whole, uh, this whole town. So the book was written about, Philippi, the letter was written about 60 A.D. Let's go back 10 years. Let's go back to Paul's first trip. Silas just picked up Timothy a few days earlier, and they're looking and seeking where God, where are you leading us? They want to go here. They can't go there. They want to go another place. They can't go there. But God gives them a clear calling. I don't know about you. Have you ever had a clear calling? Hopefully the person that maybe is that significant, someone in your life, you think God put us together. Maybe that job that you're, God gave me that job. We can say it all the time, but I mean, do you believe it deep inside your being? Paul was in this journey of finding God's will. And so we pick up, and I want us to, to look at the book of Acts now. So go back about, about five books, five books or five letters, and come back to the book of Acts chapter 16. And this is the very first time when Paul enters into the city of Philippi. And of which we're going to find everything that he did, everything that he was living for, was built on the resurrection, and it was the theme behind everything that he shared and it was why he was called to go there. So chapter 16, and I'm going to begin reading verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, this is the calling, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us. What did he call him to do? Very clearly. Say it with me out loud. To preach the gospel to them. What's the gospel? The Greek word euangelion, which means good news. What does good news mean? If you go and you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you'll find exactly he defines what the gospel is. It's the death, it's the burial, and it's the resurrection of Christ. First four verses of 1 Corinthians 15. That's everything that Paul said. He said, and what God has called me to do, and what God has called us to do, is to go talk about this amazing Jesus and his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And how that changes everything. And what Paul encounters when he enters into Philippi, and let's now read the next verse. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage 
to Sumatras, and to the following day to Nepalis. That's the port city. And from there, about 10 miles north of there, was the town of Philippi, which is a leading city, not a, not a, not a little village, a county seat town, a, maybe a capital city, if you will, of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. Now, what I want to talk about is what happens those very first days, those very first moments, those very first encounters of those some days that he's in Philippi. Because that's going to be in 50 AD, and then we're going to read a letter for the next two and a half months that points back to the life-changing effect of that resurrection. And what he is called to do is to go and to share the gospel in this place. And he encounters three different people. Now, some of you will fit into the category of these three different people. Some of you will not be in that category, but there's a number of you that would call yourself, if you could classify yourself today, as I'm, I'm a seeker. I, I'm here today, Mike, because I'm actually trying to explore this Christian faith thing. I'm not quite there yet. I'm open to it. I believe that there's a higher power. I believe that there's God or gods. I don't know which one is which. I don't know which one is more powerful. I'm, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a seeker. Mike, teach me. I'm a sponge. For the seekers, that's, he encountered an tremendous, amazing woman named Lydia that we'll come to in a moment. And then he also encounters another. This other is, is more of a spiritual person. Oh, they believe in spirits. They believe in many spirits. And there are people in this day and age that are very spiritually minded. They believe in spirits. They want to talk about spirits. They don't necessarily want to talk about Jesus, but they want to talk about spirits. Spirits are okay. We'll talk about them. And then there's another guy he runs into, and he's a skeptic. So let's real quickly look at each one of these and understand them because each one of these encounters Jesus and his resurrection differently. But every one of us will encounter the resurrection the same way, and it will change how we live today, but it will change how we live the rest of our life. Jesus gives the seeker clarity. He gives the seeker clarity. Now I'll say this about about Grace Point. One of the things about Grace Point from the beginning, we have said that we are a seeker-sensitive church. We love the idea of seekers out there. We love the idea of people who don't have it all figured out, people who are still trying to figure out the faith, people's faith's a little messy, a little broken, a little, little shattered, a little, little of their own makings and trying to figure it all and make sure they got it all right, okay? That's, we like that. We like it, and we even say this, you can belong before believing. You can be a part of our ministries. You can be a part of our small groups. You can be a part of our worship. You can be a part of any of our events. You can be a part in so many ways. You can impact people's lives. You can belong and not even believe. We want to give people an environment that is safe to, listen to this word, process their faith, figure it out. You don't have to come and have it all figured out before you can become a part and be a part of, uh, of this journey together. And that's okay because there are a lot of people out there that are admirers of Jesus but not believers. But here's what I'm praying and hoping and believing that one of these days, that as you stay in this safe environment, as you process your faith from a biblical perspective, as you allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your life, as you encounter the resurrected Christ I pray that you will go from being an admirer to being a believer. Because when you become a believer in Jesus and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him, when you encounter Jesus at that level, then all of a sudden you become a child of God. 
John chapter 1, verse 12 says it so clearly. It says, those who believe in him, those who receive him, those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Okay? Don't take my word for it. Take John the Apostle's word for it. If you believe in Jesus, not just admire him, not just think he's a good guy, not just think he's a good rabbi, not just think he's some guru out there, not just a miracle man, not just a man who walks on waters, not just a way, but he is the way, all of a sudden your life changes. And by the way, if you've ever wondered, well, did Jesus really think that he was all that, uh, that, that, that big uh, or that he was God? Absolutely. He knew exactly who he was and those around him knew who he was because he said in other places in John, he said that I and the Father are one. Or if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We are the same. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. When you're looking for God, the best thing I can say to you is look to Jesus. See, this is a woman. Let me tell you about this lady named Lydia. So Lydia was from Thyatira. She was a, she was a professional woman. Now, I know a lot of you in this room are professional vendors, suppliers to Walmart. You might identify with Lydia. In fact, I would encourage you to spend a, a good chunk of your time studying Lydia. I'm not going to be able to do justice to it. But here's the story on Lydia. Lydia was in retail. Lydia moved from Thyatira to Philippi to work in retail. Lydia was in soft lines. She sold uh, clothing. She sold expensive clothing, high-end clothing. How do we know that? Because she sold purple clothing, and purple clothing represent royalty. So she had this high-end lucrative business. She is a strong woman, and she is a... The Bible says a worshiper of God. Let's look at this. Acts chapter 14, 16, verse 14 says, One who heard us was, uh, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. You might go, boom, check. She's got it all figured out. She's a worshiper of God. She's, she's got her life together. She's got her business plan together. She's got her faith together. Stop. She was an admirer of Jesus. She was an admirer of God. She was a worshiper of God, but she did not know Jesus. Because the verses go on to say, And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. All of a sudden, now the dots get connected. It goes from a black and white movie that she's watching to a full color. Now it's making sense. It goes from some shady, fuzzy, kind of poor reception to HD quality. It goes to 3D. Now this is making sense. It's not just God out there in, in earth and outer space, but it's God here. It's Jesus Christ. That's what, what God did was he opened her. He gave her clarity. He gave her understanding, opened her heart to pay attention to what she said, and after she was baptized, her household as well, she urged us saying, if you judged me to be faithful to the Lord, now she's really going into talking about Jesus, not just God, Jesus, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon him. I, like, she, I, I think uh, Lydia was an alpha female. She prevailed upon these two strong men. She said, listen, you're coming to my house, and this is the way it's going to be. All right? She was a businesswoman. She was strong. But now she was a follower of Jesus. Changes everything. This is a safe place to process your faith. This is a safe place to not have it all figured out. This is a safe place to hopefully, I pray to God, that he will give you clarity of your faith. He will open your heart that you will understand things that you did not understand before. When a seeker encounters Jesus, he completes the story. 
life begins to make sense. There begins to be answers to questions that you never have found answers to those questions before. I like this story, and I told it in my book. Uh, I actually told it in the introduction of a guy named Alex. His name's not really Alex. It's another name, but I'm protecting his name. He's a part of our church. Uh, and, but the way it started is when I actually wrote that section of the book, it, he was not a believer. And the story goes is that one of our church members was working out with him on a Sunday morning, and they were all sweaty and stinky and all that kind of stuff. He said, hey, I'm about to go to church. Would you like to go with me? And Alex had never been to church since he was 12 years old, and he was significantly older than 12 now. And uh, he had even thought of it. God was not on his radar. He had hung up the, 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 the towel on, on God all, all together. But he said, I'm going to go with you today. So he goes home and showers, and we thank God that he showered before coming after the gym. And, and, and he comes, and he, he sits down, and he's a part of the worship gathering. And I, I see him. I say, it's great. Hey, good to see you, Alex, all that kind of stuff. He goes out the door. He comes back the next Sunday, and the next Sunday, and the next Sunday. And finally, we're ending one of our CrossFit workouts together, and we're all kind of recovering is what we call it because you literally are trying to recover. And we are working, and we're talking together. And he says, you know, he says, I'm not really a believer. In fact, I'm kind of an atheist. He said, but I think I'm going to keep coming. And I thought it's funny. One, how can you be kind of an atheist? Either you're an atheist or you're not. But I'm going to keep coming. I said, fine, keep coming. A year thereabouts goes by. And I need to say a short story. Mike becomes a follower of Jesus. He's baptized. And now Mike serves in our ministry. Every, every week, first impression ministry. Mike was in, in, in Zambia with me a year ago helping to build an orphanage. It, it's, uh, I just said Mike. His name is Mike. Okay, it's not Alex. <laughs> he doesn't care. He gave me the permission to tell the story. <laughs> See, you lie enough and your lies will find you out. <laughs> he gave me permission to share his story. <laughs> Now, where was I at? <laughs> That's the beauty of encountering Jesus when you're a seeker. It becomes clear. Jesus becomes clear. Number two, Jesus gives a spiritual person freedom from chains. So he encounters another person on the, on the journey through Philippi. He encounters, he encounters this person who doesn't have a name. This is a young lady who's caught up in trafficking. She's being trafficked, not for her body, but for her mind and her spirit. She is demon-possessed, is the way we would call it today. She was, had this inside, and people were coming. And you got to realize, Philippi was a very religious town. It's a very spiritual town. And, and they, as they were spiritual, they, they, I mean, I'm talking about human sacrifices, animal sacrifices, orgy worship. It was a mess of a, of a, of a community. At the same time, they're seeking this girl who has been taken as a slave by these men. These men now put her kind of like a dog and pony show, put her on the street corner and let her tell people's fortunes. Paul and Silas come into town, start preaching the gospel. And what does this woman do? What does this teenage girl do? Let's pick up the story. In chapter 16, verse 16. Uh, chapter 16, verse 16. And we were going to the place of prayer. And we were met by a slave girl who had a spiritual divination, had a spirit of di- divination, and, bu- uh, and, and brought her owners much gain to fortune telling. 
She followed Paul, and listen to what she was saying, or the spirit inside of her was saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. Here is a demon-possessed woman, a spiritual person, who is looking at Paul inside us and saying, these guys, they serve the Most High God. Goes on for several days. Paul gets irritated by her, or by the spirit inside of her, and he turns to her. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now, you might go, ooh, ooh, that's Twilight Zoney. I don't know about demonization today, and we're not going to get into the depths of that because I do believe in it, and I have seen it. But more than that, you know what Satan does is he puts a lot of people in chains, chains of addiction. The number of people caught in pornography and sexual addictions is absolutely mind-blowing today. The people who are caught in prescription drug addictions, it's the white-collar drug of our culture, is astronomical. More people die from accidental drug overdoses every year than car accident. It's the number one killer of accidental death is drug overdose, prescription drug to be specific. It is a chain around us. On Sunday, on Friday night, we gathered here for a Good Friday service and we talked about the chains, the, the sin that easily clings itself to us. This, this sin that comes upon us takes control of us. And I talked about the nails. And if you were here, you, were, you know what, I'm, I'm just catching everyone else up. And we talked about the sin that gets a hold of us. And the nail, I said, take that nail out. And we gave everyone one of these nails. And we said, take that nail out. And I want you to name that nail, label that nail, give that nail a name. And what is it that is the sin that weights you down? Oh, you're a spiritually minded person. You want to be free, but you are held in captivity to this, to this thing in your life that you can't get freedom from. And then we had people go and they nailed them into the cross. We had three crosses around the room, and it was incredible sound just to hear the nails being driven into the cross. And every one of those nails, when you walk out of this building today, you'll see three crosses structured throughout the gallery area. I want you to not just look at all the nails. I want you to look at one nail and realize that every one of those nails is a story to be told. It's a story of somebody who's crying out to God, the resurrected Christ, set me free, set me free, set me free. See, a spiritual person, when they encounter Christ, they're free from the baggage and the shackles. I've tried a thousand ways my fears to quell and my hopes to raise when all I need, the Bible says, is Jesus. And though some may mock and some may blame, in spite of fears, in spite of shame, I go to him because his name is Jesus. Back on that, that Mike story or that Alex story, um, Mike gave me the permission to share this too. He struggled with alcohol. It's been a nail in his life. And he's been free of alcohol and for longer in the past six months of his life 
than in the past three decades. It's amazing when you encounter the resurrected Christ, what he will set you free from. Number three, Jesus gives a skeptic hope that fills the soul, that completes them. Now, you know a skeptic, and I know a skeptic. That's kind of the doubting one. And to be honest with you, there's probably not a lot of skeptics in the room today. Otherwise, why would you be here? You know, why would you go in the weather? Why would you do all that? But there may be a few in here. But I was last night after doing all I could do and thinking all day long about the message. I just like, my brain was just exhausted and I'm sitting in the backyard and I was like, I can't think about it any longer. It is what it is at this point. But then it was like God brought over me. First one friend, then another friend. Skeptics in my life, people who are not followers of Jesus, people who doubt ended up praying for seven different people in my life that are just skeptics. And my my prayer is that, God, they're not going to be there tomorrow. They're not going to be here tomorrow. They're not going to be in any church tomorrow. They're not going to hear the word. They're not going to talk about the resurrection. They're not going to believe in the resurrection. They don't know the power of the resurrection. They're sleeping in right now. I said, God, wake them up. God, what will you do? Because, see, I realize it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. It's not his mean arm, his big stick. It's not his strict laws. It's his kindness. If they would just understand and leave their skepticism, they would find the joy and the, and the hope that comes through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God, what will it take to get these seven people? I don't know. I woke up this morning thinking of them, praying for them. Paul's in, um, in Philippi, and by the way, he got thrown in prison because he set this, this slave girl free from her divination. He got thrown in, this is actually a, a, a prison cell that archaeologists have found in Philippi that they've uncovered just a dark, damp, moldy kind of experience. I mean, it'd be one of those things that, why in the world would, would why, why did God throw him in there? But it was interesting, when they got in there at midnight, it says the Bible, it says that, that Paul and Silas were praying and singing, having their own little worship time. And the neighboring jail cells, there were other people just listening to him. But then just beyond there, there was, there was the guard and he was asleep. And then an earthquake came. When the earthquake came, this skeptic, and I say call him a skeptic because he was loyal to Caesar. He believed in Caesar. He was willing to die for Caesar. He actually takes his sword because the earthquake comes, the, the prison cells open up, and people can go free. And he wakes up thinking that, oh, Paul and Silas, they've escaped. Now I've got to die for Caesar. So I know this about this prison guard, this unnamed prison guard, is that he was loyal to Caesar. And to be loyal to Caesar mean you was a skeptic of Jesus. His apostles, his posse, his followers were a bunch of crazies. Let's read the text. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymn, uh, hymns to God in prison, listening to them, and suddenly there a great earthquake, and so that the foundation of the prison was shaken, and immediately all the doors opened, and every, everybody's bonds were, were unfastened. Can you imagine the people that were running out of the jail cell? But what happens, the jailer wake, woke up, and he saw the prison door was open, <coughs> and he knew, <clears throat> and he drew his sword. It was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped, but they didn't. So what did they do? Heard a loud voice 
Paul cried out, said, no, don't harm yourself. We're still here. The jailer called, and his lights rushed. He said, called the lights, and they rushed, to the end, trembling with fear. He said, Paul and Silas were still there. And he brought them out, and he said, sir, this is the jailer to the guards. He said, sir, what must I do to be saved? See, this guy goes from being loyal, asleep, wasn't even listening to the praise and the worship. He was asleep while while they were worshiping, and then all of a sudden their life got rocked, and his life was about to end, and he was about to fall on the sword. And all of a sudden now he said, these guys are legit. What must I do to be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And the beauty of the story goes, as he gets saved, his household gets saved, they all get baptized. They start rejoicing. Their hearts are full of joy. This is what happens to a skeptic when they encounter Jesus, and they give up on having all the answers, is their life is filled with joy that they never knew, that they never experienced, hope that they never knew, and they never experienced when they were a skeptic. I challenge you. I challenge you to find yourself in this. Who am I? Where am I in this? Because when you encounter the resurrected Christ, he completes you like he did in Lydia's life. He sets you free like that slave girl. He also gives you hope that you never would have outside of Jesus. When you think about where, what was Paul and Silas doing at midnight in a prison cell? They were worshiping. They were singing. They were rejoicing. Here's the truth that this entire series will rest on. It's a life principle that I want you to hang your hat on. And that is this. Joy rises above your circumstances and flows deeper than our pain. No matter how many times you've been sucker punched, if you have experienced the resurrected Christ, you will have a joy that will take you above your circumstances and that will run under your feet and below you all the way through life. That's what you happens when you know Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? As you consider where you're at right now, Would you answer the question, has the resurrection changed everything in your life? What you value, what you love, what you're committed to, how you're going to live tomorrow and tomorrow night when you go home with your family and tomorrow whenever you deal with your work associates or your classmates or if you're a teacher, your students, has it changed, has it completed you? Has it set you free? If you have not been set free, I challenge you to come to Jesus. Because if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. And it's just a matter of learning to walk in freedom. I want to pray for you. If you today say, Mike, I I want more of Jesus. I want to know more of Jesus. I want Jesus in my life. Then you right where you're at can just say your own prayer and just say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I I, I need that resurrection power in my life that Paul had in his life that that so many of my friends talk about and, and speak about and that this man on the stage is talking about and it changes people. 
I want to be made complete. I want to be set free. I want to have hope and a joy that rises above and goes deeper than anything life can come my way. You just tell him in your own words. Father, open our eyes. Just as you did Lydia. Just as you did Lydia. Would you open our hearts this morning to the beauty of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?